Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here as always. Thank you for joining me this week after the Bahrain Grand Prix, we're one race into 23 for the season, and from what I hear from all accounts, looks like people have already given up on the season, which is a bit sad and um, disappointing as well, uh, including George Russell as well, and that doesn't really paint a good look for the sport, does it, when... One of the drivers is like, oh, you know, well, um, given how Red Bull performed over the weekend, that it will be, you know, difficult to see, not to see them win every race or whatever. So um, what do you all think of that? You know, are you of the belief that Red Bull will win every race this season or Max Verstappen will win every race this season? Um, I'd be interested to hear from you guys. So please let me know. But... It was a dominant display in Bahrain. They commanded a 1-2 finish as Max Verstappen picked up from where he finished off last year, essentially. Almost 12 seconds was the margin between him and his teammate, Sergio Checo Perez. They nailed their two-stop strategy, started on the soft tyre, another set of soft tyres, and then hards to take them through. They didn't have the two sets of hard tyres like Ferrari did, which everyone thought perhaps that might give Ferrari the advantage, but then Ferrari had their own struggles and um, tyres were one of them as well. And Max, of course, leading from pole position. So an interesting narrative throughout the weekend, um, given... Aston Martin, there there was validation of the speed that they showed in testing and then the pace during practice as well. I mean, Fernando Alonso top two practice sessions this weekend, um, FP2 and FP3, and then in qualifying came short in fifth, I guess. And, you know, saying that he came short in fifth um, for an Aston Martin is, you know, this time last year would be like fifth was like pole position for them. But, um, yeah, to be down in fifth or whatever, um, and then showing the race pace again on Sunday. So we'll talk about Alonso and Aston shortly, but it was a nightmare of a start for Ferrari and for Charles Leclerc. Lap 41, um, seeing the Ferrari pull over to the side of the track and uh, come to a stop was like, well... Here we go again. <laughs> Embrace those um, uh, GTA San Andreas memes. I've seen one of Leclerc uh, with his hand against the wall or whatever, like in the intro clip or whatever, being compared to Joel from The Last of Us in the TV show, having his, uh, you know, anxiety problems or whatever. So, you know, it's it's going to be another... Um, walking meme this year will be Ferrari and Charles Leclerc sadly like unless they can get their stuff together I mean remember this time last year it was Verstappen and Red Bull who had the reliability pains in the first race of the season and ended up overcoming a 46 point deficit to go on and blitz the championship with four or whatever races to spare so um and still they identify that there was some issues pre-race so pre-race they ended up changing some components on Leclerc's power unit and all within Park Ferme as well so no penalties were incurred he qualified second behind the Red Bull um and still you know during the race like I said they had their problems with the tires they just didn't find the pace on the hard tire as well as uh the Red Bull and the Aston Martin were did um as well as the Red Bull and the Aston were doing 
And then, yeah, lap 41, seeing him crawl over to the side of the track was like, well, here we go. <laughs> How's Frederick Vasseur feeling? You know, his first race in charge of Ferrari. Are they going to start blaming him already? I mean, is the press release going to come out before the next race in Saudi that he's been sacked? I mean, you know, this is this is obviously not a Vasseur problem necessarily, the reliability, but um, they're definitely going to have to look at something um, because, yeah, from what I've heard as well, it means the um, they might have to dip into additional components early because the parts that were damaged from Bahrain will not be salvageable so yeah you know power unit penalties coming early this season for Leclerc and you know that's not going to be good at all um the testing and practice pace like I said from Fernando and Aston Martin were realized despite the qualifying that they had their race pace was great and this is all despite a first lap incident as well involving his teammate Lance Stroll who tagged him going into turn four. I think he was being a bit too ambitious, but also the dexterity that he's had all weekend with the broken hand um, that he's been carrying that's been operated on and the other injuries that he's had. Um, I feel like there has to be credit due to young Lance um, in this instance to come back from that accident in the preseason, missed testing, and then still, um, still not quite fit you know fully fit to be able to race this weekend and some people were certainly questioning oh you know he's jumped out of the car all right in the extraction test that all the drivers have to do um as part of their scrutineering but in a race situation like say the car was on fire would he be able to get out as quickly as um ideally you would like to but you know he kind of proved the doubt is wrong and you know you could easily say that I'm one of those people who will um, say things about or like pull Stroll's performances into question as frequently as say somebody else might but in this instance credit is due where it's due and he did a really good job all weekend and not having driven the car and testing um, and then yeah to come home in sixth as well was a really good result apart from that little faux pas at the start of the race I'm glad that uh, the engineers didn't tell um, <laughs> Alonso straight away who was it that hit him because I'm sure that wouldn't have been uh, that wouldn't have gone down well so credit to Lance Stroll um, I will give it to him and um Great job for him. Alonso coming through in the end, despite that start. And if it wasn't for Leclerc's DNF too, the podium would not have been realized as it was. So great job for great job for Alonso. Great job for Aston Martin. 99th career podium for Alonso. He was able to challenge and pass Carlos Sainz at the end there. And Sainz, of course, um, struggling with the hard tyres in that final stint, so he wasn't able to defend um, stronger than he was able to as seen. Same with Lewis Hamilton as well. It was great to see Alonso battling with Hamilton on track, wheel to wheel, and then also with his compatriot Sainz. I mean, it would have been something, I think... Um, I don't know if I said pre-race that this was my prediction, but... It would have been nice if we saw both the Spaniards on the podium. I think for, for science, it would have meant a whole lot, you know, to be on the podium with um, the driver he grew up idolizing in in Fernando Alonso 
the only Spanish world champion currently in Formula One, so that would have been something, but it wasn't to be. Maybe at some point in this season when Ferrari can get their act together, but yeah, Science struggling for pace throughout. Best he could do was fourth, and then of course Hamilton um, was the lead. Mercedes that was split by Stroll in the middle, and George Russell, he was aggrieved early on by the fact that Hamilton was ahead of him and um, wasn't really showing the pace that Russell had. He was having struggles on the soft tyres at the start, I think, is what Russell's engineer told him. He's like, is he just going slow or is he managing or is he struggling? What's going on? And um, his engineer saying he's struggling, he's struggling. So, But Lewis had the last laugh in that respect, coming back and finishing um, fifth and then Russell in seventh. But... Not a good weekend, or it was it for Mercedes. I mean, if you're Toto Wolf, you're saying it's one of the worst weekends ever that they've had. Um, but they got fifth and seventh, which is solid in terms of points. But Toto Wolf coming out saying publicly that um, they need to give up on this car concept. What's obvious is that doesn't look like that they've actually made many gains from last year. At the end of last year, you know, they they got as far as they could. Um, with what they had, you know, with the ATR time and, and the cost cap as well, they got as far as they could. Um, and it would really just take a whole winter, you know, of development to be able to come back and, um, you know, come back with a different car and be up there again. But obviously that's not happened, you know. So it's it's really annoying, I guess, for the Mercedes fans and for the Mercedes people involved as well that um, they're not able to fight just yet so are they going to have to do what McLaren are doing and bringing a big upgrade in you know in a couple of races time to hopefully get them out of the hole that they're currently in but yeah you know fifth and seventh not bad it's better than it's better than a DNF but they're not really there with Red Bull which is what they want to be at the moment and also when you look at Aston Martin Aston Martin are a customer team of theirs and (laughs) for them to be second quickest at the moment um, behind Red Bull it's like well you know they're our customer they take a certain amount of components from us as well um, in terms of the rear end and whatnot whatever they're allowed to um what are we doing wrong here that they're doing right? So it seems, you know, Aston obviously following the Red Bull side pod concept. Um, they've obviously had a bit of success now with that. So it will be interesting to see how things move forward. Uh, rounding out the points, Valtteri Bottas, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, all three of them great performances in the race. You know, neither of them qualified in the top 10. So Bottas kind of anonymous in qualifying, as was his teammate, Joe Guan Yu. He was 12th, was, was Bottas. Pierre Gasly ended up starting the race plum last in his debut for Alpine, which is rather sad. And that was um, not even... Like, you can't say, oh, he had his lap time deleted, which is why he got sent to the back. He was already knocked out in Q1. He was, like, 18th, 17th or 18th quickest only. And then further embarrassment added, um, he ended up uh, having his lap time deleted. So was sent to the back of the grid. And then Alex Albon making it out of Q1 um, and was able to 
plug-in in the 15th fastest time. So for them three to get outside the points, into the points, what a great effort. And got to say, like, the midfield just seemed so compact this weekend, which was evident in quality when you look at the Q1 times and who was knocked out and what their times were compared to the, you know, the drivers that were on the fringe. So best example to use of that, Lando Norris, Ended up uh, 15th fastest in Q1, just with Logan Sargent, the rookie, um, in 16th, and he was eliminated. But they were on the same time. They set exactly the same time, yet, unfortunately, Sargent ended up on the um, wrong side of the elimination zone. So um, that just shows you how quick, you know, everyone is and how close these guys are. And, like, I think the overall spread in qualifying was, like, 1.1 or 1.2 seconds across the 20 drivers so you know what a great little um what a great little uh spread there is between all of them so that was really exciting to see uh how qualifying fared and you know how compact the the grid is at the moment we also saw the likes of logan Sargent, kevin magnuson and nick defreese move forward in the race as well, which was really good, you know, Sargent on his debut in F1, DeVries starting his full-time career for AlphaTauri, Nico Hulkenberg unfortunately went backwards during the race, he qualified fifth and there was that optimism there at Haas that they could be on for a good result like they were this time last year, but that unfortunately didn't come to fruition, Um, Esteban Ocon had probably the worst race, I mean, Leclerc was pretty bad with the DNF, um, and say what you will about McLaren, but I think, yeah, Ocon copying three separate time penalties. First one for being outside his grid box at the start, I think it was it was very marginal, but the rules are rules. Then second off, um, second time penalty was for the fact that he didn't serve the first time penalty correctly, um, which was hilarious, and then... Um, when he came to serve the second penalty, he got caught speeding and was like very, very marginally over the limit. So yeah, he finished not even last. I think he was second last. Oh no, he didn't, he didn't even finish. Sorry. He ended up having to retire from the race. So I think Alpine's like, yep, let's kill it. You know, it's, it's been pretty miserable today for us. And then there was, you know, some kind of reliability problem going on there. It was, um, Lando Norris who came in last and what a sad state of affairs for McLaren at the start of this year. And as you know, I'm, I'm a big McLaren fan. Um, but it's been nothing short of a disaster and that's not even taking into account that team management, you know, Andrea Stella, Zach Brown are basically like, yeah, you know, we missed our targets in the preseason, um, and we've basically got to wait for upgrades to come in Baku, which is round four at the end of April now, so another month and a bit to look forward to those, and regardless of that, you know, for Oscar Piastri to be out with um, reliability problems, like I think it was an electrical issue that put him out of his first race on lap 14 that was pretty sad and then Lando Norris or Norris just having this um like pneumatic air pressure problem where they had to bring the car in every few laps to top up that air pressure or whatever so the fact that you know that 
ended up being five trips to the pits for him, including his two uh, pit stops that he did for tyres, is ridiculous. And then finishing how many laps, laps off the lead and, and, you know, way behind uh, Zhou Guan Yu, who, you know, Alfa Romeo quick thinking to bring him in at the end of the race for an extra set of tyres to get the fastest lap. Not that it would get him any extra points being outside the top 10 or get, get him that point. Um, the fact that Gasly had it originally and, you know, Alfa Romeo think that Alpine are going to be their main competitors this year, so why not, you know, take points from them as early as we can? So that was good thinking from Alfa there, but just an embarrassing kind of day for, for McLaren. Um, Piastri himself, a bit self-critical after qualifying, saying, yeah, you know, it was all um, my bad. They got caught out by a red flag in Q1, and then... Um, he made a mistake on his, you know, what should have been his uh, best lap out of Q1, whether that would have got him forward or whatnot. Oh, sorry, big yawn. <laughs> whether that have got him, that would have got him out or not remains to be seen. But um, yeah, they're really going to have to show something in the next couple of races, regardless of whether the update's going to come in Baku or not, because. You know, like Norris said uh, in the preseason, you know, if if we were truly a, a top team, you wouldn't be waiting for this sort of upgrade four races into a season. And, you know, Mercedes sort of getting the same, uh, same vibe at the moment with them with where they're at. So, yeah, that pretty much was the Bahrain Grand Prix. Um, you know, not like it wasn't a... It wasn't a boring race by any stretch of the imagination we had some great battles it's great to see how close the midfield is and then of course you know seeing a team break out of the midfield in the form of Aston Martin to be able to challenge uh the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari but the fact that regardless of that you still have a team that's so far ahead of the competition is a bit concerning and when that is the case Let's not fall into the trap of, oh, you know, it's the rules fault or like, oh, F1 needs to do something about this. No, they don't. And this is me, not a Red Bull fan. You know, I couldn't give a toss about Red Bull. Um, not, not my, not, not favorite team of mine, as you can tell. Um, similarly with Ferrari, um, is it the, the onus is on the team to do a better job. You know, they need to be clever about how they develop their car. And, you know, when you look at the likes of McLaren and, and Mercedes as well, they clearly come into the 2022 rules, you know, going back 12 months, not having the right car. And, you know, that they've clearly not been able to develop themselves out of it. So, you know, you've got to start talking to your designers and your, your engineers and whatnot and trying to make decisions and get to conclusions up there. You know, rather than saying it's the fault of the rules, because Red Bull, you know, they hit the ground running, they had the concept nailed. Adrian Newey's been at it for years, and then now that Aston Martin have got their hands on Dan Fallows as well, who's worked on Newey for a very long time, they've been able to get together a car that is quick as well. Ferrari, they seem there, they've just got unreliability to do with the power unit again and you know they've had other issues in terms of um you know the pit wall and the operational side of things with pit stops and whatnot so you know the problem for them isn't the car but yeah the teams who still can't 
get a grip on that car, particularly the likes of McLaren and Mercedes and even Alpine, who Alpine's a manufacturer team. They don't have um, budget problems like a Haas or a Williams does. So, you know, it really is, I've got to say, that the new rules, as, as painful as it is, for fans of those teams and of course I'm a McLaren fan it's really catching out the teams that just can't you know get together a good group of um, designers or just don't have the brains there like you know you do at Red Bull and, and Aston now so that's probably where my disappointment lies you know it's it's not necessarily going to be with oh you know I'm disappointed that only Red Bull are winning because good on them they've done a great job they can win all they like it was the same with Mercedes in 2014 15 16 where you know neither Ferrari or Red Bull there could challenge uh, Mercedes for the championship so we had both uh, Rosberg and Hamilton at it so yeah gonna leave it at that when it comes to that little thing but yeah as i said share feel free to share your thoughts on it what you guys think um because yeah it's it's pretty unfair for um many to come out and say oh well you know that's the season over because i think there's very much a lot to play for that's it's only one race in and you know we could see ferrari when they're reliable for example win and what about a title challenge from aston martin that would be quite surprising or maybe i'm just being optimistic who knows? Anyway, well, let's move it on and talk supercars now because the supercars championship returns this weekend. Um, the Newcastle 500 is the season opener, and of course, Newcastle returning as well to the calendar for the first time since 2019. Um, not having a race up there for a couple of years due to pandemic-related reasons, and also I think what's more exciting is the fact that Gen 3 is finally here, and it's not been without its issues as well, even recently, the fact that um, a couple of test days had to be cancelled um, because teams were on running against the clock to actually get their cars prepared, and then when they did roll out to do a test um, at Sydney Motorsport Park, which was open to the fans, of course, Terrible day weather-wise, but they were still able to get some running. Um, the parody debate started again, <laughs> as as it does in supercars all the time. This time it was that the Camaros were dominant. Um, I think there was like 11 of the top 12 cars at the in the combined times through that test were all Chevrolet Camaros. And what, there's 25 cars on the grid and 11 of them were were Camaros at the top. And David Reynolds coming out afterwards, making comments, saying that they're in a different sport, basically, at the moment, uh, comparing it to, you know, uh, other sports people who would take steroids versus people who don't take steroids or peptides, whatever. Um, and it's, it's not a good look, you know. It's not a good look, but... I guess the real acid test for supercars will be when they hit qualifying on Saturday, the first qualifying ahead of the first of two 250k races, and whether, you know, what are the gaps? What's the spread of um, cars when it comes to the Camaros versus the Mustangs? Um, if it's there's an obvious advantage, of course, between them, then you've got to say the, the VCAT testing that they do, the aero testing, um, needs some kind of questioning because... How is it that they can't identify um, parity, you know, a disparity between the two manufacturers early on? You know, of course, there's going to be a bit of 
protection there for on each side or you know they're gonna if representatives from each side will you know during the process be like oh yep that's fair that's fair you know trying to protect their own manufacturer's best interests but come on like this is just ridiculous that again we're having this debate um gen 3 was supposed to be that equalizer given that gen 2 was pretty underwhelming and when we had the mustang come in there in 2019 um we had that huge debate back then about you know parity and how it was just way quicker and you know the commodores couldn't really keep up and then some aerodynamic changes later you know all all seemed to be well and then for the next few years we had commodores and and triple eight dominate especially shane van gisbergen you know him being at the top of his game was was a major factor of that so you know, it's just, yeah, I think it won't be till qualifying will we see, you know, where they're really at in terms of, you know, one lap, the ultimate ultimate pace, and then in the race as well, it's going to be an interesting thing seeing how they can race with these cars. Newcastle is not really representative anyway of some of the other tracks we go to later in the season. So this year there will be 12 events, so no Pukekohe, no Perth, um, night race, they will still have Perth as a, as a super sprint, though. No Winton, sadly, as well, for Victorian fans. That's a bit of a bummer. But when they go to tracks like Simmons Plains and, and Albert Park and whatnot, good to see, though, that the Sandown race will be back to the 500 format. So always a big fan of that. Uh, in terms of drivers, we've got Cameron Hill coming in from Super 2. He'll be off to Matt Stone Racing. Todd Hazelwood going to Blanchard Racing in the Mustang, and Tim Slade stepping in at Premier Racing for Chris Pither. So that will be an interesting combination, I think a strong combination between Sladey and um, James Golding at Premier Racing. They were looking quite strong at the end of the year, and Golding was able to get a couple of um, top 10 shootout appearances as well. Jake Kostecki out at Tickford, uh, Declan Fraser comes in, so that's a bit of a, a good signing there from Tickford to get Declan Fraser into the car. Of course, he was um, with Triple Eight and did the wild card there last year with Craig Lowndes, so for them to pick up um, Fraser and, and get rid of Kostecki is a good choice, and of course, Matt Payne coming in at Grove Racing for Lee Holdsworth, who will be back at Walkinshaw and Dreading United as a co-driver. So that's very exciting to see. Um, is Shane Van Giesbergen going to win again this year? Uh, that's the big question. And, you know, being in this whole new generation of supercar, it is going to be interesting, I think, on ability. Shane is still the best out there. Brock Feeney, it was good to see him strong towards the end of the year and with the Adelaide 500 win. Um, but what about the likes of Chaz Mostert, Cam Waters, Anton Di Pasquale, Will Davison even? Um, if the Fords are going to be behind all year, um, behind the Camaros, that is, then who's going to challenge Shane for the championship? Will it just be uh, into triple eight rivalry or you know can one of the other camaro teams you know your your Erebus, your team 18 um will they be able to step it up there like we've seen 
big regulation changes in the past, like in 2013 when Car of the Future came in, a shuffling of the pack. There was, you know, multiple winners that season, like in the two digits, actually. It was like 13 winners or something, or 12 winners, I think. But um, again, you know, they're not going to be consistent enough to fight for a championship, you'd think. So it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. So... Yeah, you know, that's that. That's Supercars. Look forward to um, wrapping it all up and, and talking about it in a couple of weeks. So I won't be back until after the uh, next round of the championship in, in Saudi, in, in F1-wise. But uh, until then, thanks very much for tuning in. Make sure you check out um, all my other links through the link tree in the description. There's Twitter, at HitTheApexMedia, my Instagram, and also theraw.com, which I write for. Um, live blog as well for Formula One, so look out for those. And of course, um, shout out to the lovely people at Grid Talk. Uh, the F1 Grid Talk podcast as well. So be sure to check them out at F1 Chronicle. So yeah, thanks very much and I will see you guys next time.